What is up, brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Mitch Grace Show. Thanks for joining us again today. Um, it's been such a fabulous season. We're starting to wind down the 2020 season of the Mitch Gray Show with great guests. Our goal this year was to only do episodes with guests, and we have succeeded, and we're rounding out the year really strongly. So uh, make sure you subscribe to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. We've expanded the places that we um, are offering the podcast, so check that out. And uh, let's chat with our guest today, Chantel Boita. Welcome to the Mitch Gray Show. I'm so excited to be here, Mitch. Thanks so much for having me. I have had a my last four or five guests, those last names have challenged me and 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 you're right there with it, but I love it. I'm learning so many new things and how to say new things and it's amazing. <laughs> it's a bit of a global education, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Chantel, you are a um, recruitment strategist and your focus um, is on helping people get recruited. And I'm really excited to have this conversation just based on things you and I have discussed before. I'm also excited because I know during this time that uh, many people are shifting careers and new opportunities, whether by choice or, or by circumstance, but it's kind of happening. And so let's start with this question. What does a recruitment strategist do for people? <laughs> Good question, Mitch. You know how often I get asked that. And in order to answer that, I'm going to back up a little bit. First of all, I believe that all of us, all of us can have the dream job. And when I say the dream job, whether you work for yourself, whether you work for a company, it's your job. But you've got to do what you love. So when I started this journey of exploring what I love, what I'm passionate about, where I make a difference, I decided there were no companies in South Africa hiring someone like me to do what I wanted to do. So I toyed with names and I came up with a job title for myself, Recruitment Strategist. I love it. I love it. So now, <laughs> so I literally created my dream job. But now let me tell you what I do. I've had a background in sales and in recruitment. So I've worked with recruitment from the agency perspective and corporate sales. But corporate sales in terms of selling a service, that's what I've always done. I've never sold a product. I've sold services, sort of on a B2B basis. So I've combined those skills. And what I do now is I teach people to position themselves for the job search, but more importantly, to access the hidden job market. Mm. That's your networking, and that's your word of mouth, your recommendations, referrals, all of that sort of thing. So it's a really, really exciting space at the moment. So there's there's a lot to dig into there, right? First of all, I love that you're like, forget it. No one else is offering me what I want to do. I'm just going to do it myself. That's that's amazing. I think I, I agree with you. I, I think most of us have that dream. Um, I like to say that written into our DNA is what we really kind of are called or love to do our passion. And so many of us Absolutely. don't, we don't get the opportunity. We don't give ourselves the permission. Maybe we weren't given the permission. So we just kind of end up, you know, floating through life. So I, I love that about you. But you made a statement that you kind of glossed over that I want to go back to. And that is opportunities in the hidden job market. Expound on that a little bit. What is, what does the hidden job market mean? Okay. So I'm going to give you two statistics just to unpack that a little bit. People who are applying for jobs, 2% of all applicants are interviewed. And Mitch, these are global statistics. This is not South African only. 
So as far as I'm concerned, if you're in the job market, that is not a high enough statistic to mm. put all things in that one basket. The flip side, between 30 and 7% of all jobs, or of all hires, are word of mouth hires. So people are still being hired by word of mouth. Word of mouth re remains the most effective mm. recruitment method. Companies have recognized and acknowledged this. When they recruit someone through word of mouth or through recommendation, the um, loyalty, the longevity of the staff, but everything that the people stay longer, it just works. Mm -hmm. So this is what job seekers need to start tapping into, and that's where I bring in that networking concept. The hidden job market is a gold mine, and people are not exploiting it enough. Yeah, so you're talking to the guy that's coming out with a book called How to Hire and Keep Great People. And Yay. my hiring premises is you interv interview everyone in person or virtually Agreed. now. Um, I'm not yeah. a fan of third-party apps or hiring agencies from a company perspective Agreed. and from a candidate perspective because there are algorithms inside of those third-party apps and agencies that a great person can slip through the cracks. And I've been there. Um, in fact, I told a story in the last chapter of the book I wrote about my experience with third-party agencies and apps. Um, it was quite a few years ago, but at the time, because of different circumstances, my credit score had dropped. And because of my credit score, I couldn't make it through the algorithms. And a lot of For people sure. don't know that. Another penalty that people don't think about is if you're self-employed, a lot of those algorithms yeah. consider you unemployed. And so you can have yeah. gaps in your, and, and you mm -hmm. won't pass through the algorithms. And so I love hearing what you're talking about because companies are missing great people because mm -hmm. they're not doing the work themselves. Quite frankly, I think it's because they're lazy in the name of saving money, Agreed. but Agreed. It, they're not Agreed. saving money in the long run. For sure. And Mitch, you've hit on a fairly controversial topic that I like to talk about, and I haven't really talked about it very much publicly up until now because I'm still a little bit nervous of the pot shots. I know the pot shots are going to come. Right. But the statement is recruitment is broken. And it's mm. not just in South Africa. Globally, recruitment is Everywhere. broken. Everywhere. So you mentioned the technology. So we're dealing with technology and we're dealing with third party, like recruiters, consultants, agencies, that sort of thing. So on the algorithm side, you already got a bias against you, a number of the things you said, plus more. You know, so there's massive. Um, barriers to entry, let's call it, on the, on the technology side. Then you get to the people side, and when you're dealing with agencies, you're dealing with human bias and human agenda, and that's part of my coaching methodology is, okay, obviously we talk about getting through the technology, but when you're dealing with people, how to consider their bias and their agenda in the hiring process and get through to the line manager, because that's where the gold is sitting, that's where the decision is going to be made, you know? So yes, it is. It's broken. It definitely needs fixing. I don't yet know what the solution is, but I do believe that we're coming full circle in terms of networking. I have seen many, many more companies start taking up this, this method of, of recruiting. Yeah, I do think there's a shift happening. Um, and, and really, from a company perspective, the shift is motivated by high employee turnover. You know, the, the most expensive line item in a company's budget is hiring and development and turnover. You know, the, the statistic is you can you can spend up to 200% of what a normal salary would be replacing that person. Like that, that's insane. 
and and and, no, your, and and your data is right when you hand select those people and you interview those people and you find the people that that are connected with the culture you want that employee turnover right. rate drops incredibly incredibly absolutely and what i see a lot of big companies are doing is they're starting referral incentive schemes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that to me is a fabulous way to go because you think if you're working for a company, you subscribe to their values, you subscribe to their culture, you know exactly what it's like on the inside. You yes. also know this scenario of going for an interview and they tell you how beautiful it is and then you realize and you realize not really. So what companies are doing is they're putting these referral incentives in place and they're saying, okay, guys, we've got a vacancy. Um, if you refer anyone, we're going to give you X amount of you know, whatever, whether it's holiday vouchers, whether it's cash, whatever it is. Um, and I think this is also increasing the retention of staff. Yes. Because think about it, you would never refer a friend of yours to come and work in a toxic culture if you worked in a toxic culture. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And you know, the company, I mean, I'm talking in South African terms, it probably costs, okay, in dollar terms, it probably costs the company I don't know, 500,000 US dollars if I had to convert it. I'd be nuts. Right, right. Yeah. yeah especially compared to. In the to, of the salary. Yeah, especially compared to high turnover rates, which is incredibly right. costly. Right. You know, it's amazing because as, as you're talking about all this and you and I've talked before about some of this, and as I'm consulting and coaching and writing, the crazy thing is 15, mm. 20 years ago, this is exactly what we did. This, this is exactly what we did. We gave referrals to people that recruited someone, and it was a high motivating factor. Um, we interviewed, I worked for a company once, it was a high fashion retail store. We had a policy, an unwritten policy, that we interviewed every single person that turned in an application. You had to interview wow. those people. But the reason we did it is A, we, did, we thought that they took the time to fill out the application. They deserved the respect of an interview. The, I agree with the, that. the second mm -hmm. thing was you never knew where you were going to find the next great leader. And so if you didn't interview those people, you were missing out on opportunities. And Absolutely. so literally for four years, five, six days a week, mm -hmm. I averaged interviewing five people a day. I mean, I've done well over 5,000 interviews because and so you just learned a lot of that art and, and you know, that, that company, like many others, eventually went to online applications and everything. And I just, I thought it was a great mistake because even though, it, to me, it's a tool, even though it widens mm -hmm. your opportunity for candidates, it also causes you to become really lazy and Absolutely. not do due diligence. Absolutely. And you miss good stuff yes. when that happens. You do miss good stuff. Now, now, on the flip side, what I started doing, I held a position recently where I was managing a um, private college um, in the Western Cape. And what I started doing is my facilitators were critical staff to the campus. Yes. Because obviously they're giving class, they're teaching. So, I mean, even if a guy calls in sick, I have to reflect. So what I started doing is I started a practice of informational interviews. Mm -hmm. I would spend every Friday afternoon on LinkedIn. And I would source the skills that I knew we needed. And I would call the guys in for an informational interview. I'd say to them, listen, I don't have a vacancy, but I never know when there is going to be a vacancy and I want stock. Would you be interested in meeting me? Or not stock. I don't think I use the word stock. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, 
it works. It absolutely works. Now, if I did that, how many other managers are doing that? So it, it really, really does make sense. Yeah, but I, but I think very few are doing it. I, I really do. I, and, and that's just from talking to business leaders and listening and, mm-hmm. and also talking to people like you who are coaching people that are, that are maybe pivoting or out of a job. And when you talk to those people, their complaints tell me that those things aren't happening. I mean, how many people have we talked to that put in applications and resumes and never even get a response? Zero response. Absolutely. Mitch, you know what? You talk to business leaders a lot more than I do. But what I'm experiencing, and I talk about the three sort of stakeholders in the recruitment mm-hmm. value chain. You've got your recruitment consultant, then you've got your HR or your talent acquisition who's on site at the company, and then finally you've got your line manager who this position reports to. Right. And what we're finding is the line managers want to do the informational interview. Mm. I'm finding that they are open to it. If they can see a justification, right. and if, of course, the candidate can make a good pitch. You know, you don't want someone who's going to land in your inbox and say, hey, I'm looking for jobs, can we have a quick meeting? Right. No! <laughs> you know? Right, right. <laughs> so this is what I'm teaching people, is how to write those, those constructive pitches and get the informational meeting. But what a lot of people are doing is they're confusing the three stakeholders in the value chain, and they're pitching their informational meeting requests at recruitment consultants and HR and talent acquisition. And they're not interested because they believe in the system. Right, right. Yeah, so it is finding where the magic button is, right? It's finding, you, I think you called it the gold mine. What's funny is from the recruiting side, I always tell business leaders, you're looking for the gold mine. And it's the same analogy. <laughs> it's the same analogy from both perspectives. And so when you're, when you're talking to people, um, because the bottom line is, I do think a shift is happening. I think people are going back to what I call the old school way of doing things. Um, but there's always going to be there's going to be a balance there. So how does someone navigate, um, especially now? I mean, right now everything is virtual. Yeah. Um, trying to locate people is all virtual. You know, the day and time of going to an actual physical building and asking for someone is gone. So, what are a few tips that you give Absolutely. people if they're trying to figure out where to look, how to look? You know, who are they looking for? What are some things that you're coaching people on? Okay, so again, you've asked me a really big question, and in order to answer that, I'm going to go right back to basics. The first thing, the first thing that I start with on any coaching process is clarity. We've got too many job seekers who are looking for a job, any job, mm-hmm. and if you shoot for nothing in particular you'll hit it every time and you'll find nothing in particular. So you've got to have that clarity in the job search. You've got to know where you're going. You've got to map it. There's a certain strategy involved. And through that process, what we do is, I call it my differentiator talk. Mm. We've got to find out what your differentiators are, learn where your value is and how you communicate those differentiators. And only once you've gone through that process, Mitch, can you start formulating some sort of strategy. Because once you've gone through that process, you've identified the culture fits, you've identified the value fits, you've identified where your skill set makes the most sense, you've identified your transferable skills and how it can apply to the industry or the market that you're looking at. And only then can you say, right, Coca-Cola is a fit for me. Right. And then you can start the research into Coca-Cola. So now to answer your question, what I do is I love LinkedIn. I believe LinkedIn is a fantastic tool you know, just to get past that first hurdle. 
But I think, again, what a lot of job seekers are doing is they are relying on online only. So they don't use LinkedIn as an introductory tool. They use LinkedIn as a be all and end all. Mm -hmm. so you've got to connect with people. You've got to engage with the people strategically. So now you search the line managers at Coca-Cola, for instance, and you've started engaging on their, you know, on their um, activity. You've connected with a couple of them. Now what you want to do is you want to take it to the next level and you want to jump into their inbox and you want to give them a reason to jump onto a journey. And that's where the magic lies. So like I said to you earlier, you cannot be pitching a CEO of a company like Coca-Cola and say, hi, can we chat? I'd like a job sometime. Right. It's not going to work. Right. So what I do is I teach people through this differentiator conversation and the differentiator is really that's the foundation of all the work that you guys are going to do in the job market. So my differentiator statement is effectively, I did X that resulted in Y. So it's taking traditional duties from your CV and it's putting more into them. Hmm. So it's, it's, giving, um, it's giving outcomes. It's just outcomes that sell you. you know, it's outcomes that quantify who you are. I can put a, a list of skills on my CV and say, I'm, I'm good at recruiting, I'm good at interviewing, I'm good at this, I'm good at that. But it's all biased because I've written it. Right. So the right. minute I back it up and I say, right, I'm good at interviewing because I've placed 95% of my clients. Ah, then there's a difference. So I'm teaching people to use that differentiator and use that in a pitch. So now to come back to the Coca-Cola example, you would go to the CEO of Coca-Cola and you'd say, listen, but, or whatever, not but, obviously, but listen, but I see you guys have, have got a problem with recruiting. It looks to me, and now you're going to read it, looks to me like your staff turnover is excessively high at the moment. In my previous company, I was so effective at interviewing that I placed 95% of the candidates that I worked with, and 70% of them stayed for longer than five years. I would love to have a conversation with you about how I could add value to your, your organization at some point. Right. So that's a rough framework. I mean, there's many sort of tests that I use, but that's generally the idea, is explain to the person why you're going to add value to their conversation and why you want to have a chat with them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really the idea of doing the homework, right, and setting the foundation before you even search, begin that's the it. job search. Um, and I, and I, I think what gets people a little bit in trouble is really the only time we look for a job is when we're desperate for a job. And that yes. desperation can lead to urgency, and it's often very difficult to go, I don't have a job, and I have bills to pay. I don't have time to do all that homework. And I think, I think that's what people, they talk themselves into that, mm -hmm. not realizing that doing that homework is going to give them substantially more value. Correct. Correct. And, and interestingly enough, you know, I've seen an increase in people obviously this year. You know, and with all of the challenges that we're dealing with at the moment, this is what people are coming to me with. And, and I'm literally mischanging people away because I'm saying, I can't meet your timelines. I can't give you what you want in a week. It's not going to justify the effort that I'm going to put in. I need to work with someone long term. So for me, my ideal client is to be able to work with someone who's got a vision for their career and who wants something more whether it's in the next six months, in the next 12 months, in the next five years. That, those are the kinds of people I enjoy working with. Um, but yes, I do have a, a number of free platforms because again, the advice that I give, there's a lot of stuff people can implement quickly if they are sort of desperate and they need that help. 
so then I put that other support out there. Right, because my guess would be a lot of people in that desperate situation, they can find someone like you and assume, oh, she can help me get a job really quickly. But but really, if if someone's just looking for a job and not a path, then they're probably going to be faced yeah. with the same situation in a year, two years. It's not, it's not sustainable. Absolutely. It's not sustainable. Absolutely. And, and again, this is what happens when you, you, you know, again, you're shooting for nothing. You're just hoping for a job, any job. And then salary comes into the equation. And right. we know on the flip side of the COVID debacle is what is happening is there are many companies who are exploiting staff. Yes, there are companies that have really had to be cut back and get that. But I think a number of companies have ridden on the coattails of COVID and they are now offering staff who are immediately available far less than market rate yeah. because of this desperation in the marketplace. And that's what happens when there's desperation. The other thing is, Mitch, recruiters, and I mean, if you've interviewed as many people as you say you have, you can smell that right. desperation. Right. When someone yes. sits across the table from yes. you, it doesn't matter how they try to hide it. You yeah. can see it, and it turns a recruiter off. Again, we're in the market for, for retention. We want people to stick around. So, so mine is not a, a quick, quick fit solution, but it's the kind of solution that everybody should go through. It's the kind of journey that everybody should go through at least once in their career where you really evaluate who am I, what am I excited by, what is my value, and where am I going? Right. Yeah, it's almost like the best piece of advice for people that are really desperate because we do have to pay bills and we need income. It's almost like the best piece of advice would be get something knowing that it's temporary while simultaneously investing in the things that you're talking about because it relieves yeah. the stress, it relieves the money situation for the most part, but it gives you some hope, you know, because it's uh, most of us have been there in life where we have to take a job we don't want. We have to take a second job we don't want for some people. And it's so hopeless. It's like, I really don't want to do that. But then to invest in yourself and, and start, you know, taking the actions that you're talking about, um, it can work together. And, and I, that's the message that I really want so many people to hear. Um, and we, we both meet them all the time. They've had long careers and my, my heart of compassion goes out to them. But at the same time, you can't have these crazy high expectations and expect to get something immediately. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because this is where a lot of my teaching comes out of is my personal walk. Yeah. I was unemployed for two years. I put this program together for myself. I walked this road. You know, I decided I wanted a management position. That's what I wanted to move into. And I decided to get a job to get me there. And I rolled out my own strategy, you know. So I've been there. I see how it works. And yes, you're absolutely right. When when people come to me who have been retrenched or have got past a three-month window or a six-month window, but there's a definite end to the resources inside, then I say to them, right, we're going to go for the easiest possible career transition now. So if you're an internal auditor currently and you're looking for external audit, for instance, we're going to go for an internal audit position. Once you've secured your position, then we're going to start looking at the dream company, the dream role, and adding those, those transferable skills. So, yeah, sometimes it is a long-term process. Yeah, it really is. So you mentioned um, some free resources, and we don't want to give ever, everything away for free, but there are some people that, that might need something today. 
Um, what are some of those things you offer? Where do you offer them? Um, what, what would that look like if someone's listening and they're like, yeah, I need an opportunity now. Um, what are some ways you could help them? Okay, so the most immediate way to get help is to go to my YouTube channel. Okay. It's in my name, Chantal Guerta. Just um, search that on YouTube. Um, there's a lot of content that I've put on YouTube in terms of how to design a CV, how to access the hidden job market, how to conduct yourself in an interview. So that stuff is very immediate. And interestingly enough, Mitch, I've got some testimonials of people who haven't been able to afford my program or have been in that situation have gone and binge-watched my YouTube and found a job within the next week or two. <laughs> that's awesome. Which plugs the hole, and I'm that's thrilled awesome. about that. You know what? So, so that's great. So that's the most immediate. Something else that I do on a somewhat regular basis is probably every two to three months, I run a free Facebook challenge. Mm. So it's all, it all happens. At the, it's either a five-day or a three-day challenge. all happens on Facebook. There's no personal one-to-one -one interaction. Um, but it's, you know, sort of fast and furious. I'm sure you've seen these challenges, fast and furious, but you really, really get some quality information out of those, those challenges. So again, if guys want to follow me on social, they'll pick up when I'm running my next challenge. Awesome. And we'll, we'll put those in the show notes as well. We'll put a link to your YouTube channel and your, um, where they can find you on Facebook. Oh. So, and then you have your website, chantelbota.com. And there, there's some really good information there, not not as in-depth as what you're talking about, because obviously we build our websites for people to want more. And so, but but there is some great, it, it explains in more detail what you do and what you have to offer and and, um, and everything so people can go it does. It find does. you there. But the website is massively under construction at the moment, so don't expect anything marvelous just yet. We're working on it. But it does but have good info there. There you go. I, I feel your pain. I'm in the middle of two website rebuilds right now, so I, I feel your pain with that <laughs> for sure. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I've got dreams that are like caviar and yes, and yes. I told someone the other day I, I I'm I'm cheap, and so I try and do most of the stuff myself or people that I know yes. that can help. But I I'm the same. I have all these vast big ideas that I want, and it's like. You can't get everything you're Correct. dreaming of yet, yet, but <laughs> one absolutely. day. Absolutely, absolutely. A friend of mine always says, crawl, walk, run. And yes. he's absolutely right. And I right. have to keep coming back and reminding myself, right now we're crawling. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're doing great. Um, so, you've alluded to something a few times that I want to touch on, and, and I want to touch on it because I know you give value there. Um, I also want to touch on it because the last couple of guests that I've had on the show have talked about this platform specifically as well. Um, and that's LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So I want to go from mm -hmm. the perspective of the job seeker. What, okay. what can they do on LinkedIn? How in the world, if I'm a job seeker, why would LinkedIn give me value and what can I do there? Okay. So first of all, increase your network. Um, depending on where you're sitting, and anyone is going to tell you, I'm not going to get into discussions about algorithms and all sorts of things, people will give you different advice, but there is a sweet spot of connections. And they say anywhere between 500 and 1500 connections is kind of a sweet spot. So if you're sitting with 30 connections, you need to increase your visibility and get yourself into that sweet spot. So you'll strategically start connecting with line managers, not recruiters, mm -hmm. not HR line managers, you go for the gold again. So you would connect with them. And then what you would do is you would start engaging with these line managers. 
So you would check their posts. You would see what they're talking about. You would position yourself almost as a as a thought leader in your area, if that makes sense from a right. job search perspective. Right. So you don't want to kind of like become an influencer overnight, but you want to start putting your opinion out there and showing people what your opinion is on your area mm -hmm. of specialty. Okay. What you can also do, but I find there's a lot of resistance to this from the job seekers, so I try different strategies. But for me, this is the goal. You think people like yourself and myself, we post on LinkedIn on a daily basis, and it attracts people to us. And there's a, there's a, a lady in the UK who I follow, Helen Pritchard, and she's quite fond of saying, you want to stand like a lighthouse. And that's the analogy that I like to use when you post on LinkedIn. You want to stand like a lighthouse, and you want your light to attract people to you. And as a job speaker, you can do this. And I've seen job speakers do this so successfully, that, you know. And we've also seen the people post on LinkedIn saying, open to opportunities, please share this to, to increase the reach. I'm looking for a job. These are my skills and my experience. And in my world, skills and experience are very good. We talk right. about that. No one gets excited about that. But if you have to stand up and do a post on LinkedIn and say, you know what? I'm a finance manager who specializes in cost-cutting initiatives to the extent that I uncovered a fraud of 20 million in my previous company. I managed to save the company's budget. This is what I did. Do you know anyone who could use this skill? How I'd share the hell out of that. Right. Because I think, wow, here's someone who's different, who's telling me what their outcomes are. Instead of going, my skills are financial management, and my experience is five years in the corporate industry. That tells me nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, so job seekers need to take it to the next level and need to be a little different. But like I said, there's a resistance to posting. So again, what I suggest, if you are resistant to posting as a job seeker, particularly, of course, if you're currently employed and you can't do that publicly, is go very strategically and request those networking meetings with various line managers, mm. but not only line managers. Remember I spoke about the referral scheme. So you almost want to find people who are peers or, or slightly senior on a different department to you who could potentially refer you in their organization. And make friends. It's that right. simple. Right. <laughs> right. Talk to people. <laughs> yeah, again, it's the idea of you never know where the opportunity lies. You, okay. you just, you never That's know. It. And, and I want to encourage people again, because I, I, like you, have been in those situations over the years where, you know, you're out of work, you can't find work. And I, I know the desperate feeling that that comes about. And um, and oftentimes that desperate feeling becomes so overwhelming that it's just, you know, you kind of you kind of start walking in that hopelessness. And I think, again, that's where people I think that's where they have the shift is they go. I don't have time for all those fancy posts. All I have time for is I need a job. Someone hire me. And so I want to go back to what we talked about earlier. And that is, you know, lower those expectations for a little bit. Um, maybe just get the job you can get for now, but still be taking the path that you're talking, talking about, because that is going to add value and position yourself um, as an expert. You know, that this word expert that's been thrown around. I, I had someone tell me, one of my clients I'm coaching with, they, they go, well, I don't view myself as an expert. And I understand that. I don't necessarily view myself as an yeah. expert. But when you really boil it down, everyone is an expert at something. Absolutely. You know, the, per Absolutely. the person that comes but and that picks up. It does. It does. Yes. 
the, the, the person that picks up the trash is an expert at organizing how to pick up the trash at time management of when, I mean, everyone is an expert at something and, and we forget that. Correct. We forget that. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. But you know what, Mitch, you've touched on something that I also want to bring into the equation. And for me, it's also really important. I mentioned earlier, I start with clarity and we start with mapping the way forward and, and starting to unfold that strategy in terms of where you're going. But even before I get there, when I embark on a new coaching journey with life, I spend a lot of time talking about mindset. Mm, and yes. there's two strategies that I unroll for my clients right up front. One is success habits. So I unpack a couple of success habits they can adopt in their daily lives, in the job but also in their daily lives. But the second one, and you might find this almost a little funny, I was interviewed by someone else recently and he actually canned himself when he heard this, is I call it a rejection strategy. Mm. Because the reality is, in the job search, you are going to be rejected more than yes. the worst salesperson on the planet. Yes. And you have to rejection-proof yourself. And we have to dive into who you are in that rejection. How do you handle that rejection? Is this a learning opportunity? Is it not a learning opportunity? But irrespective, how do you pick yourself up and move forward from that? And that is important. We've got to reject that. You know, now, whether your job search is six months long or six days long, you still have to do it. Right, because rejection is a part of life, right? It, it happens. Right. And, you know, one, one yeah. way that I taught myself how to overcome rejection was, or, or I should I say, how to practice responding to rejection better. I don't think anyone overcomes rejection, no matter what they say. No. I think we learn how <laughs> to respond to it better. One way, yeah. one way I taught myself that was to put myself in position to be rejected, um, whether it was, you know, pitching, whether it was trying to book things. Um, even when I was running companies, I would still go take job interviews just to learn how to better interview, learn how to listen better and to get rejected. And I've, I've advised business leaders of that. I think the CEOs of the greatest companies in the world should go apply for other jobs so they know what it feels like and they have that empathy. And it would be great for Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, to get rejected from a job. I mean, how... How awesome would that, would that be? <laughs> because you know, it's not everyone's a fit for everyone. And I think there's something in leadership that's very valuable in remembering what that feels like and the empathy for our people. And so, you know, sometimes I, I talk to people that are unemployed and they're seeking a job and I'm like, when's the last interview you've done just to do an interview? Not even to get the job, just to do the interview. And I tell teenagers constantly, you should be applying for so many jobs because you need to learn the interview process. You need to learn what it looks right. like, feels like, tastes like. So I'm right there with you on that, sister. I think that, I think that gives us more value. I think we highly undervalue what that can teach us. It's true. And without a doubt, without a doubt. You, you know, I, I've had clients who kind of go to pieces every time they yes. get a rejection. Yes. And then we've got to go back to classrooms and say, hang on, let's look at this rejection strategy that we mapped and we see how we can get out, you know, out, out of this. Um, and you're absolutely right. People need to do the practice interview. And I get that it's a financial resource. And sometimes, again, the situation is dire and we get that. But I'm talking in a perfect world here. Mm -hmm. Go and do the practice interview. Don't wait for that one perfect dream job to come across right. your path. If you haven't, you've done a coaching session on interviewing that you haven't interviewed for the last 10 years. Right. And you know who's the worst at interviewing. I'm going to let you in on the secrets, and I think you're probably going to agree with me. C-suite executives. 100%. 100%. They're not prepared for that. 
They're not prepared absolutely. for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. They absolutely suck. Pardon me, yep. but they really, really do. <laughs> I, um, yeah. I'll never forget about, it was about this time last year, um, maybe uh-huh. a little longer. I was consulting with a, a smaller company and, <laughs> and what one of the owners, so it was, it was a small enough company that the owners were hands-on daily owners and basically ran the company. Okay. And one of the owners who led one of the departments, I was talking mm-hmm. to this owner and they were having a really hard time finding high quality people. And there were some different elements in play, mm-hmm. but one of the elements was I asked him, I said, when's the last time you've done a job interview? Like you have gone in to be interviewed. And he said, since college? And this guy was older than I am, so it's been 20-something years. And I said, how, how do you expect to be able to interview people when you've never taken a course on interviewing, you don't interview people, and you've never been interviewed? You should be applying for jobs just to go through the interview process. So again, on a small business level, but same principle, it's those owners, CEOs, high department managers there's a there's a chasm of relationship there that they they couldn't connect to it if they had to. Absolutely, absolutely. So on the flip side, and in pursuit of this fixing this broken recruitment, right. what I would also like to do is I would also like to, and I don't know if I'm going to do it next year or like 2022, let's see. But what I'd really like to do is to start empowering business owners, mm-hmm. line managers, C-suite executives to sit on the other side of the table. How do they interview? How do they interview with empathy? Um, and how do they interview with their guts? Because again, like you said, you've interviewed thousands of people, so have I. And over that process, what happens is you develop a gut feel. Yes. You can literally shake yes. someone's hand and think, no, not right for this role. Right. You, you know, so, and that only happens through experience. That only happens, and again, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, what's the word? But it supports the, the claim that people need to do these informational interviews. Yes. Because that in itself is the experience. And then you get into those with one thing. You're networking, you're building up relationships. It just works. Why are they not doing more of this? <laughs> well, and, and a lot, and, and that's actually where I am in dealing with companies is that exact thing. It, it's what inspired the new book coming out because I want to teach business wow. leaders that there's a better way to recruit people. There's a, because I, the number one complaint I get from business leaders of all sizes is we can't find great people. And my rebuttal every time is, no, you can find great people. The question is, can you develop them? That's the question. Correct. Can you develop? Correct. The reason people aren't staying is because you don't know how to develop people. And that's a whole nother conversation we can have. But um, it, it's interesting. I was talking to a, I was talking to a business leader the other day and, and I had made a tweet um, about about hiring for for intangibles versus tangibles and I, I'm a firm believer in I don't care what skills you have if you have the intangibles I'm going to hire you I can teach you everything sure. else I can buy certifications I can send you to school and so sure. someone commented another business leader commented and said yeah but how do you quantify all of that and I'm like wait 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 if your first question is quantifying intangibles you shouldn't be hiring people in the wrong place. <laughs> like that's the wrong question. First of all, second of all, you quantify that easily by personality, by energy, by how they listen, how they respond, by references. And his response killed me. He goes, "Well, maybe that's my problem. We have a third-party company who calls all of our references." And I said, "Yeah, you're right. That's your problem. I don't want a third-party the reason we're having the reason 
Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. No, you know, I've always said hire for attitude and train for skill. And, yes. and it's exactly the yep. same, exactly the same concept. Yep. And again, if you put it in, in terms of attitude, how do you quantify attitude? But I want to, and it's another thing that I did when I was in management, is I would leave an interviewee sitting in reception for five, ten minutes before you know I called them through to my office. And afterwards, I would make sure that there was a number of staff through reception and a couple of opportunities for engagement. And afterwards, I would always ask, how did they treat the receptionist, the cleaning person? Were they friendly? What were they like? You know, and that also features in your your interviewing process. And that's the determiner of attitude at the end of the day. Right. I want someone with a great attitude. Right. I don't want someone who's got their nose in the air. Which is why encouraging your highest performers to recruit for you is critical it's also why encouraging your best customers and clients to recruit for you because they know your culture they like what you do or they wouldn't be engaging with you like like i just think both business leaders and job seekers yeah that's another thing i've told job seekers where's your favorite places to engage what are your favorite companies learn more about them all the stuff you've said like opportunities are sitting there waiting it's a matter of opening up our awareness to figure out how to best get to them absolutely mitch i think we need to start a revolution i am one oh, we are we are <laughs> yeah i love it i love it awesome awesome yep. And you know, one thing that I also always say to my people is I say, stop sitting behind your screen. Yes. You know, we've become so accustomed to doing business behind the screen. Pick up the phone, get in your car, go and meet people. I had my first in-person networking event yesterday since the start of COVID. Mitch, I can't tell you how amazing it was. Oh, I bet. I (laughs) bet. You know, maybe... Yeah. Maybe we've needed this this time and this this withdrawal from people just to push us out there again. But you know what? Just go and be people. Yeah. We lost the art. I, I, I think you're right. And and I have. I've I've become a little more bold the last couple of months and I'm just calling it flat out lazy. Technology for all of its good has also made us really, really we're we're looking for the lazy. shortest cut possible. The problem is the shortest cut possible isn't the most quality path to take and um and we've got to get out of that we have to get it because we're missing opportunities on both sides Chantel, this has been amazing um it's as amazing as i thought it was going to (laughs) be yay (laughs) likewise i love it next time we need to talk about this revolution i'm down for it (laughs) yeah we're going to um we have a game we like to play with each of our guests we ask five quick questions you can give one word answers only it's a little challenge wow. here. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Uh, regarding books, do you prefer digital or paper? Paper. Paper, yeah. Um, do you prefer coffee or tea? It smells amazing. <laughs> it smells, <laughs> it does smell amazing. Um, Same answer. Smells yeah. way better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's one guilty pleasure you have? White chocolate. White chocolate. A lot of people say chocolate. Yeah. That's like the, the the highest percentage answer. Um, one <laughs> one thing that you cannot live without. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I can't live without. 
stupid makes you completely throw me. Probably my flip flops. Okay. I would happily give up my my phone <laughs> and everything. I have no issues. And the warmer it is, and the less clothes I can wear, I'm like, not terrible, but I like yeah. flip flops. Yeah, flip flops. Okay. <laughs> really, I'm not yeah. There you go. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. And um, you're in South Africa, so this will be an interesting answer. What's your favorite season of the year? Spring and summer. Spring and summer? Yeah. Okay, spring. Spring? spring. Awesome. It smells amazing. Does it? I, I mean, around here it usually does. I don't know how it smells down there, but I'll take your word on it. I love it. I'm a summer baby. I love the sun, love the heat, and of course, yeah. spring is just new life, so yeah. it's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Chantel, again, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I always like to leave the people that are listening with one piece of inspiration or advice. So give it to them. What, what do you want to leave them with? It is absolutely, absolutely, unquestionably possible to find or create your dream job. We all deserve to do what we're passionate about. That's it. I love it. I love it. Brothers and sisters, thank you again for listening to The Mitch Gray Show. You can visit Chantel on her website, ChantelBotha.com. We'll put that in the show notes so you can spell it properly. Um, also, make sure you check out Chantel's YouTube channel. We'll also put that in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to The Mitch Gray Show uh, at your favorite podcasting platform. And make sure you follow us on social media at Media. That's G-R-A-Y. And spread the word about our show. We are we are growing, and I love it, and we've got great momentum. So let's get this message out to as many people as possible. We hope you're safe, and we hope you're well. It is the holiday seasons. Please don't stress. Life is going to be okay. You are present in this very moment. And yes, I'm telling you this because I tell it to myself all the time. Everything is going to be okay, and we'll make it through all of this. So have a great day, and we will talk to you next week.